Okay, welcome back. I hope everybody is in a bright, spacious frame of mind. Today I want to continue the reading through Sutta Nipata, the Sutra Collection, fifth book of Kudaka Nikaya, 71 short suttas divided into five vagas or chapters. <clears throat> That's from the Sutta Collection page, access to insight, all the links will be given. And I just, that was the first of the four, four links I gave, or five, four. Uh, today we go to sutta number three, which is um, the Kagavisana sutta on a rhinoceros or sword horn of the rhinoceros. I did this before. I think it's totally worthy and interesting enough to read it again. This will be Tanisaro's um, translation. Uh, I couldn't find another translation, but I think his is fine. Uh, the translations of um, Buddhist Theravadan monks reading their uh, Thai language, Sri Lankan, Ceylonese, Burmese versions of the Pali Canon, when you get translations of Theravada, the Pali, P-A-L-I, Pali language canon or group of texts. It'll be coming from monks or lay people working from texts from Burma, Thailand, Sri Lanka. <clears throat> and um, there's not too much discrepancy. It's very different than translating Tao Te Ching where the classical Chinese um, is really obscure and hard to figure out. Here it's less, and so there's less variation in general uh, with Theravadan monks translating Pali texts. So I don't feel any strong need to look to many translations of each of these. So uh, Kagavisana Sutta, uh, called Rhinoceros Sutta, I found that there's a Wikipedia page on it, and so that's the second link, and I'd like to read that now and um, riff on it and then move into it. From Wikipedia, Rhinoceros Sutta in the Pali was uh, Kagavisana. In Sanskrit is Kadgada, Kadga, Kadgavisana, Gata. Gata is like a song. Um, that's Sanskrit for the Pali Sutta. <clears throat> and it had a Gandhari version. It's a very early Buddhist text advocating the merit of solitary asceticism. Uh, it's really solitary <laughs> uh, detachment for pursuing enlightenment as opposed to practicing as a householder or in a community of monastics. And these are the three options for somebody who wants to follow the Buddhist way. Uh, lay person or householder, meaning uh, living in society, holding a house or not, married or single or not, versus being a monastic, versus uh, leaving the monastery and being <clears throat> a more of a wandering uh, monk, uh, and that's what I had fantasized in uh, high school that set me out to the path of practicing Anapanasati and leaving the U.S. or leaving college to the monastery and leaving the monastery to travel a little bit in Thailand and India and see what that was. The goal of this was to become a Pratyeka Buddha. Pratyeka means solitary Buddha uh, who wandered alone through the forest like a rhinoceros. <clears throat> and that's what I fantasized myself is to be uh, a solitary Buddha or at least follow that way and uh, it's not much in fashion these days going on it's in fact it's possible this sutra is one is the one identified in Chinese translation of the Mahasangika Vinaya which is another sect and their rules referred to by the Gandhari name similar to Pachega Buddha Sutra <clears throat> and so there is a there is a Pacheka Buddha Sutra somewhere, and uh, this is in some ways so, so. For anybody who can, look, if you're interested in that further, look into the the write up of Pacheka Buddha, which is basically the notion that some beings achieve uh, complete and perfect enlightenment in third density uh, from the human level without a Buddha in the world. It's not simply leaving the monastery after listening to a Buddha teaching or something like that. The original meaning Pratika Buddha is a one who self-enlightens when a Buddha is not present in their world system. And 
somehow they got the teaching, uh, but they go off and do it themselves. And um, maybe we'll look into that, that later, but there's a Wikipedia page on Pratyeka Buddha, which is very interesting. But let me complete this one. Origins, <clears throat> Rhinocerus Sutra, right, number three, has long been identified along with uh, Ataka, Ataka Vaga and Parayana Vaga, Parayana, Parayana Vaga, as one of the earliest texts found in the Pali Canon. So, as I said, some of these sutras in the uh, Sutta Nipata collection are very old, and two of the other chapters, which is uh, Ataka Vaga and Parayana Vaga, which, which with many sutras, are also considered very old, and I, I think very important, <laughs> therefore, uh, because they show some of the original spirit um, long before Gautama died, actually, while he was still alive. This identification as one of the oldest suttas has been reinforced by discovery of a version in the Gandharan Buddhist texts, which are called the oldest Buddhist and Indian manuscripts extant or uh, available, and that's something like 1st century AD, right? So right after Yeshua left. There's also a Buddhist hybrid Sanskrit version of it in the Mahavastu, dot, 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 so another collection of texts. Uh, it's pretty old. It's been around a long time, <laughs> this one, uh, 2,000 years plus. And <clears throat> again, scholars, some believe it represents holder for, holdover from a very early stage of Buddhism, uh, the spirit, their spirit uh, of the mind, the attitude, the people during the life of the Buddha was certainly different than after he died or left. And um, if you've ever been to India, you can <laughs> that same spirit in the countryside lives. <clears throat> uh, very, very open. Um, very authentic in a certain sense you know this is the life we're born we die we have suffering we have pleasure um, what what do you want from it <laughs> so uh, on the section called themes the sutra meaning Kagavisana which we'll read consists of a series of verses which discusses both the perils of community life and also the perils of uh, relationship and family life, and benefits of solitude, almost all of which end with the admonition that seekers should wander alone like a rhinoceros. Uh, and that's where the controversy was in that Kagavisana could be a rhinoceros or the rhinoceros's horn, sword horn. <clears throat> and... Uh, the phrase, it's basically um, at the end, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Uh, most don't understand, mo most scholars and monks wouldn't be saying that the final line of each of the verses is wander alone like a rhinoceros horn. Uh, but, because <laughs> the horn of a rhinoceros doesn't uh, move around his head or around freely. Nevertheless, that uh, singleness, um, the uh, the solitariness of the rhinoceros that is generally solitary, and the horn, which is a, a singular prominence on the head and on the face, um, can be uh, understood as a deep symbol or metaphor uh, or image for the spirit of the personal path or the spirit of soul evolution overall. And I'm going to talk about that when we get into the sutra again in a few minutes. Uh, this sutra could be understood certainly as encouraging those that want to follow Buddha Dhamma to leave the monastery and wander alone and go off into the forest and do your practice there and the value of cutting uh, unhelpful ties with family and friends and society. Uh, there's another deeper level, which is that activity as a symbol of a, of a shift in mind, of a 
particular attitude of mind that is the basis of those behaviors, right? So we have spirit, mind, body, body, mind, spirit. What's done behaviorally, like speech and action, or in this case, cutting association, or minimizing association with friends and family and society and group and community and monastery, that's the physical behavior. There's certain speech associated with it, of course. Uh, that is the body level uh, function or activity. There's the mind level, which is obviously having, you know, thought that there is, uh, you know, th there is disadvantage to relationship and a, and a group life and association, and there is advantage to solitary wandering. Okay, but there's different. There, there's a deeper level of the mind process as well. So going from physical behavior motivated by certain thoughts and understanding, those thoughts and understanding um, are themselves symbolic of a larger metaphysic or a deeper metaphysic, which is uh, you're born alone, you die alone, and your mind is your own. And nobody can really heal you. You, you have to heal yourself. You suffer alone and you glory alone. And the certain attitude towards life um, that takes into account the solitariness of soul evolution, that in this cosmic plan or in this universe where we have many relationships and they may be very satisfying, still we're deeply alone. That existence is deeply alone until there's no more self. <laughs> until you're at the level of higher self with uh, a universal self or unified self experience of unified selfhood up to higher self late sixth density, mid sixth density um, there is a very significant sense of separation uh, it may be the result of distortion chakra blockage and ignorance and lack of you know, awakening and seven chakra development but um, until the point at which selfhood dissolves into universal identity, uh, we um, are very much alone, <laughs> or we feel. Our, the deep mind feeling is very much of separation. There's no... Uh, if, if you have not finished with the eighth and the ninth and the tenth fetters in Buddhism, meaning conceit and restlessness and basic ignorance then there is a deep feeling of aloneness. Sometimes that may lead to deep suffering of loneliness. Sometimes it, it can be associated with deep joy and uh, glory or um, a, a real rejoicing uh, at what I've done for me or how I am now that for better or worse, nobody else really will know. Um, I've had many travels where I saw certain sites of extreme beauty, <clears throat> like in nature, traveling in Southeast Asia, seeing nature, certain things, you know, sunset in the Philippines or um, fields in a most remote area of uh, Northeast Thailand uh, near the border with Laos, <clears throat> very uh, an undeveloped pocket, actually, where the road was being developed and I rode my motorbike motorcycle, whatever, uh, miles and <laughs> along this half-developed half asphalt road uh, in this, uh, what I felt was a very magical kind of little region. And nobody, I was all alone, nobody could feel that but me. And there's, uh, it's bittersweet. So the admonition that seekers should wander alone like a rhinoceros and uh, the perils or difficulties of relationship and family life and social engagement versus the advantages of solitude, uh, whether we like it or not, uh, our condition until <laughs> we've gotten to the level of higher self, until we're in mid-sixth density, uh, is a condition of uh, existential uh, separateness. It feels that way. It doesn't mean it's absolute truth, but it's it's the natural product of not having finished the final fetters 
and not being fully enlightened is this persistent sense that no matter what happens I come back to me after I stop talking I come back to me after we're together I come back to me even in the midst of us together I'm here alone with you that may be felt and so that's something um, very poignant that, that bears some contemplation finally uh, yes there's an association between the rhinoceros and Pratyeka Buddhas and again anybody interested in that can look into it uh, there were some at that time um, it's interesting there, there's a in later Mahayana they were pulling away from the monastic from the forest monastic ideal but hadn't quite dropped it yet and there were <clears throat> more than a few great Mahayana Indian Mahayana teachers who left the monastery as monks many and that's the whole Siddha tradition and the tantrics that had profound influence on Tibetan Buddhism later so there's Tibetan influence Tibetan solitary retreat and uh, certain types of uh, Tibetan Buddhist yogis that um, look like Indian sadhus coming out of a Mahayana development where monasticism was growing and the solitary forest wandering was declining but had not been lost yet in uh, Abhidharma right so it's Sanskrit Abhidharma Samuchaya Mahayana from Asanga very famous and also important for Tibetan Buddhism <clears throat> describes followers of Pratyeka Buddha Yana Yana means way like Mahayana Tara, uh, Hinayana Mahayana Vajrayana Yana meaning path or vehicle or way the Pratyeka Buddha way or vehicle as those who dwell alone like the horn of the rhinoceros or as solitary conquerors living in a small group and so that was happening um, they people some monks set up alternative little communities but they were doing very serious practice and um, a different set of teachings called the Pratyeka Buddha Dharma very interesting I'm not familiar with so much separate teachings but um, Rahula talked about that and then there's that controversy about should we wander alone like the horn <laughs> or like the guy with the horn um, that's not too important I think so that's the Wikipedia rundown and let's jump back into the sutta so that's the third link Kagavisana Sutta on the rhinoceros or rhinoceros horn I'll read it all the way through and then comment all the way through after <clears throat> Kagavisana Sutta rhinoceros and the horn uh, starting this is a replay version 2 renouncing violence for all living beings harming not even a one you would not wish for offspring so how a companion wander alone like a rhinoceros for a sociable person there are allurements on the heels of allurement this pain seeing allurements drawback wander alone like a rhinoceros one whose mind is enmeshed in sympathy for friends and companions neglects the true goal seeing this danger in intimacy wander alone like a rhinoceros like spreading bamboo entwined entwined is concerned for offspring and spouses like a bamboo sprout on entangling wander alone like a rhinoceros as a deer in the wilds unfettered goes for forage wherever it wants the wise person valuing freedom wanders alone like a rhinoceros in the midst of companions when staying at home when going out wandering you are prey to requests valuing the freedom wander alone like a rhinoceros there is sporting and love in the midst of companions and abundant abundant fondness for offspring feeling disgust at the prospect of parting from those who would be dear wander alone like a rhinoceros without resistance in all four directions content with whatever you get enduring troubles with no dismay wander alone like a rhinoceros 
They are hard to please. Some of those gone forth, meaning became monks, as well as those living the household life. Shedding concern for these offspring of others, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Cutting off the householder's marks, like a covilata tree that has shed its leaves, the prudent one, cutting all household ties, wander alone like a rhinoceros. If you gain a mature companion, a fellow traveler, right living and wise, overcoming all dangers, go with him, gratified, mindful. If you don't gain a mature companion, a fellow traveler, right living and wise, wander alone, like a king renouncing his kingdom, like the elephant in the Matanga wilds, his herd. We praise companionship, yes, those on a par, or better, should be chosen as friends. If they're not to be found, living faultlessly, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Seeing radiant bracelets of gold, well made by a smith, clinking, clashing, two on an arm, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Thinking, in the same way, if I were to live with another, there would be careless talk or abusive. Seeing this future danger, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Because sensual pleasures, elegant, honeyed, charming, bewitch the mind with their manifold forms, seeing this drawback in sensual strands, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Calamity, tumor, misfortune, disease, an arrow, a danger for me. Seeing this danger in sensual strands, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Cold and heat, hunger and thirst, wind and sun, horse flies and snakes, enduring all these without exception, wander alone like a rhinoceros. As a great white elephant with massive shoulders, renouncing his herd, lives in the wilds wherever he wants, wander alone like a rhinoceros. There's no way that delighting in company can touch even momentary release. And, and that's a quote. There's no way that delighting, that one delighting in company can touch even momentary release. Heeding the solar kinsman's words, Buddha, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Transcending the contortion of views, the sure way attained, the path gained, realizing, unled by others, I have knowledge arisen, wander alone like a rhinoceros. With no greed, no deceit, no thirst, no hypocrisy, delusion and blemishes blown away, with no inclinations for all the world, every world, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Avoid the evil companion, disregarding the goal, intent on the out-of-tune way. Don't take as a friend someone heedless and hankering, wander alone like a, like a rhinoceros. Consort with one who is learned, who maintains the Dhamma, a great and quick-witted friend. Knowing the meanings, subdue your perplexity, then wander alone like a rhinoceros. Free from longing, finding no pleasure in the world's sport, love, or sensual bliss, abstaining from adornment, speaking the truth, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Abandoning offspring, spouse, father, mother, riches, grain, relatives, and sensual pleasures altogether, wander alone like a rhinoceros. This is bondage. This is a bondage, a baited hook. There's little happiness here, next to no satisfaction, all the more suffering and pain. Knowing this, circumspect, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Shattering fetters, like a fish in the water tearing a net, like a fire not coming back to what's burnt, wander alone like a rhinoceros. Eyes downcast, not foot loose, senses guarded with protected mind, not oozing, not burning with lust, wander alone like a rhinoceros, taking off the householder's marks, which is beard and hair, like a coral tree that has shed its leaves, 
going forth in the ochre robe, wander alone like a rhinoceros, showing no greed for flavors, not careless, going from house to house for alms, with mind unenmeshed in this family or that, wander alone like a rhinoceros, abandoning barriers to awareness, expelling all defilements, all, non-dependent, cutting aversion, allurement, wander alone like a rhinoceros, turning your back on pleasure and pain, as earlier with sorrow and joy, attaining pure equanimity, tranquility, wander alone like a rhinoceros, with persistence aroused for the highest goal's attainment, with mind unsmeared, not lazy in action, firm in effort, with steadfastness and strength arisen, wander alone like a rhinoceros, not neglecting seclusion, absorption, which is jhana, constantly living in the Dhamma, in line with the Dhamma, comprehending the danger in states of becoming, wander alone like a rhinoceros, intent on the ending of craving, and heedful, learned, mindful, not muddled, certain, having reckoned the Dhamma, and striving, wander alone like a rhinoceros, unstartled, like a lion at sounds, unsnared, like the wind in a net, unsmeared, like a lotus in the water, wander alone like a rhinoceros, like a lion, forceful, strong in fang, living as a conqueror, the king of beasts, resort to a solitary dwelling, wander alone like a rhinoceros, at the right time, consorting with the release through goodwill, compassion, appreciation, equanimity, those are the four Brahma-Viharas, unobstructed by all the world, any world, wander alone <clears throat> like a rhinoceros, having let go of passion, aversion, delusion, three poisons, having shattered the fetters, ten, undisturbed at the ending of life, wander alone like a rhinoceros, people follow and associate for a motive, friends without a motive these days are rare, they're shrewd for their own ends and impure. Wander alone like a rhinoceros. <clears throat> and so you'll see some interesting, or I see many interesting things there. Um, number one interesting is that um, the sutra ends with um, a sort of overview <laughs> of uh, the psychology, psychodynamics of relationship from the angle of motivation. Just the reality that <clears throat> people have a motivation. <laughs> people are in relationship with motive uh, because they want something. We want something. It's critical to have some awareness of what do I want here? Why am I here in any relationship? And also, what does my partner want, or this friend, or this family member, or this stranger? Anyone who approaches us, what does it seem they want? <clears throat> and it may not be one, it'll be many. Uh, but particularly in a voluntary, long-term relationship, friendship, family, uh, partner, spouse, companion, business associate, uh, it's a very important to know where the other person's coming from in terms of their motivations, what they want from me. Uh, people follow others, people make association, all of us do, because we have motivation. What's our motivation? It's uh, There's a range, obviously, uh, but in general, there's some desire for companionship. There's a desire to get this and that as well. It's uh, companionship of a certain quality. <clears throat> and you can see that uh, this is a very critical determination in any relationship, whether it's uh, non-voluntary like family um, or voluntary like friendship and partnership or shallow and not particularly emotional, personal like business associates could be or strangers and acquaintances. Why am I here <laughs> and why are they here? Uh, what do they want from me? And this is a very big deal, actually. Uh, and some wanderers, or at least 
from what I've seen in my own situation, are not quite aware that their motivations are different than their partners or close friends. With close friends, <clears throat> I mean, a close friendship <laughs> might be better than a partnership in the sense that lots of close friendship is close for the fact that there's shared motivation. The motives of each are harmonious or simpatico or resonant and work, you know, the, the compatibility of the two people, which is what determines that it's called a close and good friendship, is because of shared perspectives and values <clears throat> and per particularly shared motivations for being there. We have similar values and we both value listening to each other or being together as friends, as people, as somebody who listens and cares that I'm comfortable with and accepts me and we we're both feel safe together because we both um, are committed to learning, growing and helping and doing no harm, that kind of thing. And then, you know, that, then that's the basis of an ideal friendship or partnership. But commonly, at least with partnership, um, the basis, the initiating basis, the initiating motive is usually um, <laughs> some kind of material gain, some kind of material, physical, sensual uh, allure. And the allure may be, you know, the man feels sexually attracted to her or she to him or him to him and her to her, whatever. And uh, there's... <clears throat> There is um, a, what I would say, more shallow or less durable or less enduring or less foundational, less even capable of building upon basis of motivation for the two getting together that becomes a couple, meaning sexual attraction or financial or some kind of fantasy idealization or compassion and pity uh, or you know more selfish motives to take advantage of so that then obviously leads to lots of trouble <clears throat> uh, but it is a it is something that periodically happens in a friendship or relationship that we had overestimated we thought it was better than we're discovering now it really is. I thought they knew me better. I thought they really cared. I thought he, she really was on my side. Uh, I didn't know they were lying. They were cheating. They were, they have those opinions about me. I didn't know he, she really looked down on me. I didn't know he, she really is competitive with me. Or, or feels threatened by me and wants to uh, supplant me or has some kind of motive <clears throat> that is self-serving. I didn't know it. That's common. Um, in such cases, people uh, have a rude awakening to the deeper level motives of the other that they hadn't seen. Friends without a motive are rare these days or any days, 2,500 years ago and today. Friendship has personal agenda motivation. Same thing with partnership. Uh, learning, growing, helping is safe. <laughs> Taking, enjoying, uh, accumulating, controlling is not. And in many ways, this sutta is talking about the difference between a, dhamma, a dhamic or a spiritual, a truly spiritual relationship and a harmful relationship. And so uh, we see lots of, um, obviously, emphasis on the, the pitfalls, the um, sufferings, the pains, the downside of family life, relationship life, uh, partnership, having children, being involved in society. And an over what clearly could be called an overemphasis upon the benefits or advantages or promise and potential coming from solitude uh, and being outside outside the obligations uh, outside the realm of committed relationship 
whether it's friends or family or partnership or society in general in any way, outside the bounds of committed relationship, there's both pleasure and pain, <laughs> of course. And same thing in committed relationship or social life. There's pleasure and pain. There's good and bad. And obviously somebody could say, well, you know, this is just biased. Um, yeah, sure, everything's biased. Um, and so this bias here is towards the benefits of solitude and the disadvantages of relationship and society and family. Meanwhile, this doesn't exclude a right relationship. In fact, not at all. And it's very surprising, frankly. Frankly. Uh, uh, lots of dum-dums can criticize Buddhism for being uh, pessimistic and world-denying and, uh, you know, not able to handle the inevitable joy and sorrow of life or kind of petulant and complaining and all he just wants to run away and escapist and avoidant. Okay, cool. Um, but why are you where you are? Why are you in relationship? <laughs> Do you know? And the reality is that people, we, to the extent that we have craving <laughs> uh, for emotional or physical support or, or something or anything from other, are there selfishly. You know, and so much relationship is mutual selfishness. Each person, they have compatible lower chakra blockages and compatible mental distortions and temporarily uh, compatible motivations, each of which is more or less self-serving. That's very common in relationship. Raw talking about marriage as an adversarial relation. Common. Not, not universal, but common. Uh, it would have been very easy for this sutta, first of all, which is a composite. It's considered that there are many, many of the verses uh, had their own autonomy and were stitched together or composited here, as we see with Tao Te Ching, actually, chapters also. But it would have been easy for this sutta, even a, a composite as it is, uh, to wholly, com wholly or completely bash relationship and bash the family and bash... Um, society and and say all that sukkah is dukkah it's it's all no good and they're bad and stupid and uh, we're bright and clear and um, they're on the low way and we're on the highway that doesn't actually happen there's clearly uh, uh, a strong <laughs> overemphasis on the uh, promise potential uh, deep spiritual value of solitude and the drawbacks, pain, complications and entanglements of relationship, family life, partnership, society, social engagement. Sure, that's the bias. However, <laughs> um, down, down, down the line there, there's the phrase, we praise companionship, yes. <clears throat> and so, while we have endless verses saying uh, wander alone like the sword horn of the rhinoceros on the head or the rhinoceros through the forest you know, coming and going there is a very positive <laughs> there's very positive commentary on on right relationship or uh, domic partnership we praise companionship yes if you gain a mature companion a fellow traveler right living and wise Overcoming all dangers, go with him. Meaning, the person has, if you, if when we find someone who is also on this spiritual path, overcoming the dangers of mind, the dangers of craving and clinging, the grave, the dangers of the ten fetters, the dangers of the three poisons, the dangers of not seeing the three marks, right? that danger, danger, not the dangers of wild, wild tigers and you know lions and tigers and bears. So, <clears throat> the uh, seeing someone else who realizes that mind purification is critical. Mind purification really means know yourself, accept yourself, and return to love wisdom uh, repeatedly. <laughs> know yourself, accept yourself with love wisdom, and make a home in love wisdom, green, blue. Uh, and, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, 
come to a natural integration that uh, deep life purpose equals learning, growing, helping. To put it into a, a, an aphorism, learning, growing, helping is uh, the purpose of evolution, Ra said, or the purpose of incarnation. Ra said the purpose of uh, the purpose of 3D incarnation or 3D is to learn the ways of love. So the purpose of incarnating in third density yellow ray bodies is to learn the ways of love, right? To basically heal the lower triad or, you know, heal the emotional wounding of the psychological blockages and complexes associated with first, second, third chakra, lower triad chakra blockages by green, blue, indigo, four, five, six, love, acceptance, wisdom, discernment, understanding, and spiritual awareness of unity and perfection and faith and will and gratitude. Low, you know, healing the lower by the higher. That's the way. Uh, if somebody else knows that too, <laughs> they're a very suitable companion. That's a mature companion, right living and wise, seeking to learn and grow and help. Right living and wise, overcoming all dangers. Uh, but if you don't find that, better to go alone. Uh, we praise companionship, yes. Those on a par or better. And I <laughs> remember this the last time I went through this. Yes, some people could be called our betters. They are my better. Some people say, looking for my better half as a seeking a partner. Uh, there are people who are better than us, yes, 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 in the development of green, blue, indigo and in the overall development of the seven rays, and in the spiritual evolution of mind, body, spirit, or soul evolution. Yes, 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 there are people who are more developed than we are. And we ought to <laughs> be humble enough to know it, and listen, and be quiet, and keep learning, and continue learning and growing, and realize that uh, we know very little, and there's much, much, much more to know, and we don't want to be trapped by our knowledge. It's not a good thing to be trapped by your own spiritual knowing, meaning I keep returning to the same things I know. Well, there's a whole lot more going on than what we know. And knowing itself by thought is a very shallow mode of experiencing reality. Reality is um, much greater than the conceptual knowing function uh, can reveal or access much of reality <laughs> the majority of reality if we could use such a strange term uh, is non-accessible by thought it's it's uh, transconceptual and um, believing that thought and concept is the ultimate means of knowing self or life or reality is mistaken and leads us to go around in little boxes, actually, as far as I can tell. Meanwhile, uh, there's no problem with friendship. There's no problem with relationship, actually, if the partners, the friends, um, both have a sense of spiritual path, both have a sense that life is for learning, growing, helping. And the real problems there are outer problems and inner problems, but the great work is self-transformation. And both are responsible to keep learning and growing. I mean, honestly, it's very hard to do that unless both people are regularly doing meditation, going beyond thought, going beyond uh, the endless reinforcing of, of false identity. Me, me, me. This is me. I like this. I don't like that. I think that. I don't think that. You think that. I think that. That whole thing, it's the conceit of self, the conceit of uh, fashion, intellectually fashioned identity. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> that is troublemaker. <laughs> and so if both people are not actively seeking to see through, to see the emptiness of um, fermented conceptual selfhood identity and go beyond... Um, limited view or limited um, limited sense of self the false sense of self if both people are not trying to do that um, it'll it's likely that one of them that, that there'll be trouble down the line so uh, this is not anti-relationship 
it's anti getting dragged down in relationship, whether it's friends or family or partner or spouse and children and society and work. It's, um, it's a teaching against wrong relationship, <laughs> a teaching against deep relationship with those who are immature, those who are wrong living and unwise, uh, right living means Sheila virtue, you know, harmlessness, trying to right, trying to stay with right speech and right action, trying to stay with, uh, and return to, uh, the Brahma Viharas. In fact, they're even mentioned out here. Let's see if I can find where it was, but you see some, uh, prose statements that seem to show, that, that throw out certain Buddhist um, lists here, down down the page. Uh, uh. Hard to find. Just a moment. At the right time, consorting with the release. <laughs> consorting with the release which is really, I mean, the end of this sutta really is talking about the end of the path or the final stages of the path. The right time consorting with the release. It's really, uh, I don't know the Pali here, but uh, your companion, are one, one who's finishing the path, uh, has the path as primary companion. Uh, the practice becomes one's companion the revelations and releasings of uh, that, that practice bring. Practice brings uh, stages and phases and a whole panoply of releasings. The releasings from practice become one's companion. <laughs> How? <laughs> uh, through the four Brahma Viharas. Goodwill, metta, uh, compassion, um, karuna or sympathy appreciation is uh, mudita, sympathetic joy or happy when you're happy and equanimity, upeka or, or peaceful calm mind, you know, non-proliferation these are the four Brahma Vihars um, and the ways that lead to final release and they're all green ray they're all of green ray actually and so these are Four, four functions of green ray. I mean, that's one way you can look at the, the Brahma Vihara. Brahma Viharas meaning the abodes or Viharas, Vihar, of Brahma, the god or one high-level deity, you know, some guy in sixth density, I guess. The four homes of, of the higher <laughs> elders of the benevolent confederation on the positive path. Uh, basic kindness which is metta, goodwill. Uh, feeling for the pain of others, which is compassion or karuna. Feeling for the happiness of others, which is uh, appreciation or, or sympathetic joy, medita. And then there's basic wellness, basic heart wellness, which is equanimity or pekka, or uh, calm abiding, very close to samadhi in daily life. You know, out of one may go into samadhi and meditation, what happens after? Well, when the samadhi is deep enough, one walks around with equanimity, more or less, as far as I know. Uh, and so the mind is basically peaceful. The mind has become a comfortable, quiet, um, languid place, uh, a place of uh, frolicking uh, butterflies and dragonflies and little guys uh, happily frolicking. <clears throat> uh, little creatures. So... Uh, these four Brahma Viharas are very much um, heart chakra center bullseye, center of the seven rays seen spherically critical, subtle point that the final release is very is indeed very much related to heart chakra even if it's associated with 6-7 because we're still in 3D body and so what opens the totality of the 3D body in 3D space time to the totality of um, contact with intelligent infinity, which is six seven becoming uh, unified. Uh, the way that happens is through green ray. The green ray, uh, absolute, 
you know, one, I, I can't, I'm not there yet, so I can't imagine, I don't know what it is, but I presume uh, uh, completed green ray activation, you know, pegging out at 100%, if there is such a thing, in 3D body, is the basis of the final releasing associated with um, contact with Intelligent Infinity becoming uh, a dwelling in Intelligent Infinity. It's not just contact with as two entities, but fusion as Intelligent Infinity as a result of contact. Then one deed is unobstructed by all the world, this world, 3D space-time, and any world. You know, Buddhism is very metaphysical. They're not playing around. <clears throat> They're not dopes, like most of the, you know, many of uh, the mistaken <clears throat> interpreters. Uh, unobstructed by any world. Unobstructed by any ignorance associated with continued craving and clinging uh, for any states of becoming or conditions associated with any world. Any dimensional attachment, any of the seven dimensional attachments are finished. <clears throat> and that is the end. And that's why they're right close to the end of the sutra. Let go of passion, aversion, delusion, right? Grasping aversion and ignorance, three poisons. Having shattered the fen the fetters, the ten, right? Finished. Ba -ba -ba. Eight, nine, ten, finished. <clears throat> conceit and restlessness. Fundamental conceit of um, fashioning identity. <laughs> the, the fundamental eighth fetter conceit, <clears throat> for those of you who are specialists here, uh, what we're doing when we leave sixth density is um, no longer... Uh, fashioning identity. There's no longer any belief that fashioned identity... There, there's, first of all, a, a clear understanding that up to this point, I've, I, I have believed that identity is... Uh, I've been trusting my own fashioned identity. And that is um, sunya and anatta. <clears throat> Meaning... Uh, when I think of me, I'm thinking of me. When I believe anything about me, it's thoughts that are fashioned, fourth skanda samskara, sankara, they're fermentations, they're fashionings, they're mental overlays, they're filtered, um, formulated composites of thought form. That's not me. <clears throat> so one realizes that the one that... Uh, has fashioned that, that I've thought of myself uh, by this composited, fermented fashion thought form mm, process. That isn't I. I is the one who's done that. And there's no more interest in doing it. And there's no more belief in its products. Uh, this is the end of the eighth fetter. And in many ways, that depends also on uh, concurrent working on 9 and 10. But so we're talking here in the second to last verse as <laughs> at the end of the path. Shattered the fetters means finish with 8, 9, 10 and becomes an arahan, complete and perfect enlightenment. Wandering alone. Uh, what's very interesting <laughs> that I think is where I'm going to end for today on this is the term for Gautama called solar kinsmen. And there's a link I sent. It's called Adichabandhu. Adichabandhu, the last link, Buddhism Without Boundaries, uh, a, one of the various terms of, of Gautama, or epithets. Epithets. Uh, let me find there's no way that one delighting in company can even can touch even momentary release and that's a quote heeding the solar kinsman's words wander alone like a rhinoceros the solar kinsman is um, a translation into English of Adichabandhu Ah. Uh, Adichabandhu, not Adichabandhu. Adichabandhu. Adichabandhu means sun, solar, 
the family. Uh, written here from Dictionary of Pali Proper Names, Malala Sekera, from Sri Lanka. Uh, Bandhu, an often used epithet of the Buddha. Uh, Vimanavatu commentary, being uh, some Abhidhamma, I think, says that Adicha, the son, belonged to the uh, Gotama Gata, meaning the same family, Gotama Gota. I think Gota means clan or kin. The son belonged to Gotama's clan, as did also the Buddha, meaning Gotama. Shidharta Gotama, right? It's a, it's a, his given name was Siddhartha. 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 Some guy, Indian guys are named Siddhartha. Siddhartha. Uh, so his name was Siddhartha. And he was of the Gotama Gata. Gota. Gotama. Gotama Gata. Gotama Gota. <clears throat> Gotama Gota. Or Gata. Uh, basically, I think is the sort of the subgroup of Gotama. <clears throat> and that, and so that his real name is Siddhartha Gotama. It's like, you know, John Smith. He was of the Smith clan. But they were... Um, there was some other... It was a Shakya clan. So it was a bigger clan. Within that, there's a subgroup called Gotama. <clears throat> and the point is that the son <laughs> belongs to the same clan as Gotama himself. Hence the epithet Adichabandhu. Other explanations given... Buddha is born in the same Arya Jati, Arya Jati, Arya Jati, Arya means noble birth. Jati is birth, like um, Jatika, Jatika tales. <clears throat> anyway, Arya Jati is like Aryan, like Ar- Arya, um, Aryans is Arya, it's noble, um, not Hitlerian. Arya Jati, noble birth, and is the descendant of the sun. Or, the son is the Buddha's kinsman, because the son is the Buddha's orasaputta, breast-born son. So the S-U-N is, was in some commentaries considered Buddha's child. Orasaputta. Putta is a son, like Shariputra. Putta is, Sanskrit, is Pali. Putra is Sanskrit. Orasaputta is son of the breast-born, or breast-born son, Buddha. Inasmuch as the son is the Buddha's disciple. Oh-oh, you mean <laughs> the Buddha is beyond the Logos? Hmm. It is in this sense that in the Samyutta uh, Nikaya, Buddha speaks of the son as Mama Paja and Buddha Gosha uh, commentary later explained it as meaning disciple and spiritual son. So the Gautama was putting himself above the sun. Mm-hmm. How about that? Well, all right. Uh, you know, I can't weigh in on that. It's above me. So Aditya, sun, is described as uh, tapatam mukkam. Tapa, like tapas, uh, internal fire practice, the yogic practice of tapas. Mil- uh, Milarepa did that in the uh, snow-capped Himalayas, melting the snow. So tapas practice relates to tapatam, mukkam, muktam <clears throat> is um, maybe chief, like mukti. Anyway, uh, the sun is the chief of heat-producing things, but the Buddha is above the sun. Does that mean that the Buddha is beyond eighth density, or the Buddha going into eighth density puts himself above a logos? Or, sub, uh, you know, the solar logos is the sub-logos, right? Has the Buddha... Uh, achieved galactic logo status? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it's very interesting that Gautama himself put himself on par with the sun, or above the sun. And so, if he indeed said, and this is, uh, I haven't looked at this, but in Samyutta Nikaya 57, he speaks of the sun as Mama Paja. Mm, I don't know if Mama means mother, but uh, Clearly, uh, there's a connection between uh, Gautama and um, solar being. And so, the solar kinsman that um, may have spoken this particular phrase uh, as Gautama, 
or Siddhartha Gautama, uh, shows the 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 family, the kins, the the fil, the familial or the kin, the kinship relation between the solar logos and Gautama, and that's very esoteric. And so Buddha has all many times been you know called the all around eye or the eye that sees everything or the bright shining one and metaphors of, of light and and this vision are very common for enlightenment right enlightenment and so seeing and light and uh, the sun are very um, commonly used to describe aspects of spiritual path and the goal so but it is interesting that and this is just something to consider that that may be a direct quote from Gautama himself quote there's no way that one delighting in company meaning with others can touch even momentary release and um, we're talking about contact with intelligent infinity if you look in the raw material um, yes contact with intelligent infinity can be done by sexual tantra or sexual energy transfers with two partners who are both adepts but normally um, contact with intelligent infinity if it doesn't happen spontaneously by you know the person has such merit from past life development and something just happens and pop, they have a wake up if not that way gen generally it happens by solitary practice meditation and uh, I'm quite familiar with that myself <laughs> that there are, certain, there, there are certain states of mind that cannot be done when you're delighting in relationship, period. They, you may have real delight in relationship, but that's not the same as certain spiritual openings or releasings uh, that, that, in my understanding and experience, can only be achieved alone by solitary practice or as a fruit of solitary practice alone. Uh, there's something metaphysically quite different when you're alone that uh, gives a, a set of options or possibilities some of which are simply impossible when one delights in company or relationship or one is with one is attached to relationship or trying to get something from attached to means uh, associating for a motive and then you get, you know, <laughs> uh, detachment is demotivating or demotivational or uh, dis, uh, is, is a freedom from motivation. <laughs> and so uh, beyond trans-motivated trans <laughs> or seeking um, release and purification and perfection is a different set of motive than the motive of seeking um, emotional well-being or comfort or safety or love or care in relationship. And uh, each represents a different um, range of um, states of mind that are common to it uh, in association with the seven chakras. And so, uh, there's much more, anyway, this one could go on and on, or I could go on and on, but if you want, I would recommend reflecting on some of the deeper levels of meaning here, uh, and the very metaphysical distinction between solitude and its potentials for one on the spiritual path, and relationship, which has other potentials, and there's some overlap, and there's some no overlap or um, that which cannot be bridged between the way of relationship and the way of uh, solitary practice. That doesn't mean the relationship is necessarily binding, nor solitary life is necessarily emancipating. It depends on how you use it. Uh, but there are some very important differences. <laughs> and um, this world, humanity today, or culture, may well overvalue relationship and undervalue solitude just like it overvalues uh, material association material attachment and grasping and undervalues um, 
spiritual seek seeking, <laughs> spiritual search, or internal internal subtle work of um, seeking deeper understanding and um, the heart of one's mind. So, with that said, and much more that could be said, I hope this was helpful. Uh, next time we're going to take take the discussion further to the fourth sutta um, of uh, Sutta Nipata, and that's the fourth in Uragavaga snake chapter, which is Kasi Bharadvaja Sutta, which is about uh, to the plowing Bharadvaja or discourse to Bharadvaja, the farmer. So discourse to the farmer. And there are a number of translations available, and we'll look into it, and possibly go into Chunda Sutra as well. So, thank you. I hope this was helpful. I wish you all the best. Take good care, and good night.